Welcome to Holistic Human Performance Podcast. My name is Jenna Bradshaw, where we talk all things holistic health, wellness, spirituality, fitness, meditation, energetics, and so much more to help you become the healthiest version of yourself. Let's dive in. This is not medical advice. This is simply to help you on your journey through health, fitness, and wellness. I hope this helps. You can complement this with anything that you are doing currently in your life. Enjoy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Holistic Human Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Jenna Bradshaw, and today we have another special guest, Cher Melly, and we have an interesting journey together because we've known each other for a very long time. And I started out in the fitness industry. I was at Lifetime Fitness doing my thing. Cher was doing yoga. I would take her classes and I wasn't like into yoga and meditation at this point in life. And then we crossed paths again. Like I left Lifetime, did my thing. You guys know my story. And for me being in, you know, the health and wellness industry now, we crossed paths again and reconnected. And I'm so excited to bring her on, especially because I want her to break down and she'll go into her journey because she's been in many industries. She's has a very fulfilling life and, and things that she's accomplished. So I'm really excited to get her viewpoint on yoga, meditation, and different aspects of, um, you know, just spirituality and how that can play into the health and wellness of our overall lives, our well-beings. And without further ado, welcome. Uh, thank you so much, Jenna. I'm so excited to be here with you, especially. You're right. It has been so long and I feel like we're just like connecting on a deeper way now than than we ever have before. In the past, it was like always on the peripheral, like, hey, what's up? You're cool. What's up? And now it's like, okay, we need to hang. <laughs> totally. Totally. We vibe on like we, the frequency is just there. It's so true. <laughs> it's so true. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you so much for inviting me here to You're so welcome. Your, your community. So why don't you go into your journey of how you even got into the industry of, and, and like yoga and meditation and kind of like break that down for people. I always love to learn my guests journey because I believe that it's super pivotal for other people to understand where you started and where you're at now, because the journey is very windy and it's not a straight shoot. So please, without further ado. Yeah. Thank you so much. It, um, you know, it's interesting because my grandmother and I lived such parallel lives. So my background is not only in the healing arts and the shadow sides of who we are in the work that we do, but my background is actually in hospitality. I used to run nightclubs and restaurants in New York and in LA and all the red rope places and hey guys, by the way, she was like a high roller. <laughs> I was, it was definitely celebrities and rock stars and parties and all of this stuff. And so 
so my grandmother used to be a performer. I mean, I have newspaper clippings from her. She was um, a Hawaiian dance performer, a hula performer. She was also a kahuna, which is like a shaman in the Hawaiian spiritual tradition. Wow, and, that's amazing. Yeah, and then she owned restaurants in New York. She owned, um, what was that place? Cafe Figaro on Bleecker mm. Street like way back in the day. So it's so interesting because she actually passed when I was really young. I was like 11 or 12 years old when she passed, but still we we live these we these parallel lives. It's like I picked up where she left off. So, yeah, so it's 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 really it's so interesting. So my experience in this work goes back to my childhood. So Let's see, when I was 17 years old, I graduated high school and I immediately moved into Manhattan, into New York City, and really quickly started working in bars and clubs and nightlife. And it was a very, very, very fast progression into management. And it, they weren't just regular bars or nightclubs. As I mentioned, it was A-list. It was celebrities, wall-to-wall -wall celebrities, publicists. Um, politicians, heiresses, royalty. I mean, really, really. And, you know, Gucci would send me garment bags full of clothes to, so that I could be, and it was Tom Ford days, which is- Oh, hey now. I know. I wish that I could say that I have all of those clothes, but my former <laughs> assistant, so my mentor, Amy Sacco, who owned Lot 61 and Bungalow 8, a couple of the, the places that, that I was at, we had sent our assistant with garment bags filled with our clothes to the dry cleaner. And this poor girl, she left them on the subway. Oh no. Bananas. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it all sounds so glamorous and it was, it really was. And I am so fortunate to have been a part of New York and LA nightlife and cultural scene. I mean, we were really wrapped up in the art scene also, um, in the 90s, it was an extraordinary time to be a part of all of it. <clears throat> and then I burnt out because the reality is that when you're dealing with that level of clientele, as you can imagine, as everybody can imagine, it's very demanding. And I'll tell you, it's not only the, um, the A-listers who are demanding, but at the time, a lot of people felt that because they were in the proximity of them, that they had to put on airs and behave a certain way. And they became like outright demanding. And you don't need to treat people that way. You know, it's just, it's not necessary. And so, you know, and again, it was, it was like red rope places. So people were very abusive if they wouldn't get into the space. And then once they got into it and it just, I crashed, I really crashed. So that was 1998. Prior to that, I had moved to LA, never had been there before, just because I was like, I got to get out of New York. I've got to get away from my mom. She's trying to tell me how to live my life. I'm going to move as far away as I possibly can in the continental United States. Had <laughs> I had a passport, I probably would have gone overseas. <laughs> So I moved to LA, I came back, blah, blah, blah. I was running Lot 61. We opened Bungalow 8. I had a little crash. So I had this amazing astrologer slash shaman. 
And she actually was living in Tunisia. I mean, she really was a lot of a gypsy. And a mutual friend of ours called me and said, you know, hey, Laura's on her way over. And I was like, from where? North Africa? And she's like, no, no, to your apartment. Next thing I know, the doorbell rings. And there she is with her Louis Vuitton bags and drops them and is like, basta, enough. I mean, she's Italian, but living yeah, in Paris. Basta, stop. We're done with this. And I'm like, how do you know? It's so funny because she just called me today and oh. I transition. So interesting. So, okay. So Laura comes and she wound up staying with me in my teeny tiny little apartment on 11th street in the East village of New York city before the East village was glamorous. Mm -hmm. You know, New New Yorkers be New Yorkers. We're hanging out where we're hanging out. And she said, look, you need to quit your job and go move to LA and study to teach yoga. Now, a few things are at play here. Number one, I was brokenhearted for the first time in my life. I got dumped. And I don't mean like, hey, we should break up. I mean like, yeah, no, I'm good. Like standing in front of my favorite coffee shop, eating my favorite croissant. And I'm like, what do you mean? (laughs) So I'd never been brokenhearted. I was brokenhearted. I was in this career that on the outside, I could have had anything I wanted. I could have gone anywhere that I wanted. And I was just so unhappy and unfulfilled and starting to feel like what's wrong with me? Mm. You know, why aren't I grateful? Why aren't I appreciating all of this? Why aren't I happy and thriving? So Lauda says, pack your shit, move to California. Mm. So I did. I packed my stuff. I moved to Los Angeles. I went to yoga works, which at the time was, you know, understand also like this is again, going back to 1998, 99, 2000, when I was there, this is before the big boom of yoga. There were no yoga celebrities. Yoga journal was an actual informational journal on the philosophies, practices, anatomy, therapeutic applications of yoga. It wasn't, there was no Lululemon, like none of this stuff. There was no spiritual capitalism. People weren't buying shit just to like be a yogi. Like we were going into classes and we were working. And I really, I I was operating blind and I was guided divinely because the teachers were the teachers of teachers of teachers. I mean, they were the teachers who came directly from the masters, from Krishnamacharya, Mr. Iyengar, Patabi Joyce, and Mr. Desikachar, uh, Krishnamacharya's son. So I went into this really intensive practice and study of yoga. And at the same time, I was working in hospitality. I was running the VIP lounge of a you know, a place in West Hollywood. And so I've always had these parallel paths because I love to entertain and I love to provide fun. And I, you know, I'll be the one standing next to the bar with a hula hoop, encouraging you to get on top and go and have a twirl, you know, (laughs) just because it's fun. There's no other reason. So, um, so I stayed and I studied and, and I began teaching and then 9-11 happened and I was living in LA when that happened and all of my friends and family were here in New York and the place that I was working at in hospitality at the time was based out of New York it was this place called Moomba and so 
all of, most of the employees, I would say like a good 75% were New Yorkers. We all kind of came here to work together. And so we were all trying to get home because understand that at the time, we didn't know if there was going to be a war here on the continental United States. I mean, things were so volatile and it was very scary. And I wanted to be close to my family and it took a long time to get home. You, it was very difficult to get flights into New York. Rental cars were booked, like transportation was all locked up. We even tried to rent a U-Haul and like put some freaking like um, air mattresses and blankets in the back and take shifts driving. We couldn't even get a U-Haul. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it was, it was, it was intense. So I got home to New York and I started teaching at Sonic Yoga up on 10th Avenue in Manhattan. And just outside of the front of the studio was a raised, excuse me, a raised plow. So, you know, those like giant sheets of slabs of metal, of steel. Mm -hmm. Yep. And they're doing work. And anytime a big truck goes over it, boom. Well, as you can imagine, the anxiety in New York City at the time was palpable and perpetual. The West Side was, you know, there were hospital ships there and there were all of the um, uh, anthrax scares and there were constant terrorism scares. And so, you know, things were getting evacuated left and right. It, it was really intense. So here I come from pristine peacefulness. Even where I did my teacher training was in the foothills of the Santa Barbara mountains pure silence, magic, waterfalls, sitting and meditating, listening to babbling brooks, sitting and meditating on a cliff overlooking the ocean. I mean, really, it was it was idyllic to go to New York and there's sirens and anxiety and you could taste the fear. I mean, it really was intense. So what the hell was I supposed to do? How was I supposed to share anything that would provide a sense of relief, of safety, of supporting, turning down those. I mean, everybody was operating at a baseline level of stress. Like we say, I'm stressed out now. Oh right. my gosh. Like, wow. Try being in a, in a, in a really in a war zone. Right. So the tools that I had been given weren't working in this environment. And I started to, I, you know, Jenna, I wish I could say to you, I had this experience from my grandmother. My grandmother taught me this. And so um, I started practicing that. But it was the first time that I had a knowing dropped in from my grandmother. I just Maybe it was something that she shared with me when I was very young that I had forgotten that suddenly woke up from my subconscious. Maybe she came and dropped some information into me energetically. But there's um, in the Una tradition, when they do meditation, and it's very similar to, to open awareness, mindfulness, Mm -hmm. which I hadn't started studying yet. I mean, at that point, I had studied classical yoga and Buddhism. Mm. deeply into Buddhist communities. Um, but still I hadn't, hadn't studied, like even mindfulness was not a thing at the time. Right. So in the Una tradition, they, 
they begin meditations with their eyes open and invite in their peripheral awareness. And the way that I understood that is from the experience and realization that when we try to push things away, they come closer. Mm. When we're trying to avoid something, it steps in front of us, right? When we're trying not to pay attention to that itch on our face, all of a sudden it's like, oh my God, I'm going to scratch my whole entire face because it just got really, really itchy, right? Right. So we weren't going to shut out the sounds of the sirens in New York City. It wasn't, that was not a thing. It just was not going to happen. So I began this practice of opening up my aware, awareness and allowing for all of the movements and all of the sounds around me. And it's not a reaching out and searching for the sounds. And it's not creating a story with the sounds, right? Because a story is mind. Every single person walking this earth will create a different story to the same sound, right? Right. So it was just letting them, like just watching them when their sound begins, where the sound ends, what, you know? So I started with that. And then we have an additional sense. I mean, we have so many senses. We're so limited in what what we know so far, you know, like sight, smell, taste. Yeah, yeah, that's cute. You know, right. We're stuck in the 3D. Exactly. <laughs> you know, like there's so much more. So we have a sense called proprioception. And what proprioception is an awareness of your physical body in the space within it exists, within that which it exists. So it's like knowing where your foot is without having to look for it, like really feeling your body. And it expands beyond that. It's like, you know, when you, when you're walking down, well, you know, New Yorkers certainly know the feeling when you're walking down the street. And even though you might not see somebody coming up, you feel them coming up and you may step aside. This is proprioception, right? right. We, we have this awareness. So then I started closing my eyes and opening my awareness. So, so I would begin with my eyes slightly open, inviting in all of the peripheral and then closing my eyes. Because when you close your eyes and you shut out that sense of sight, you're shutting out a lot of information. So I would shut out my sense of sight, open my sense of awareness, awareness of myself. And then I would start to, to notice not only just having a sense of where I was, but also um, noticing all of the sensations that I would feel in my body. And, and again, without focusing on anyone. So now you've got these three elements right out of the gate. You have an awareness of what's happening around you. You have a sense of here I am. And now you have all of these constantly moving sensations in your body. Now, again, even sensation in your body, when we try to ignore a sensation or when we become fixated on a sensation, everything else, our awareness to it ceases to exist. And so we're missing out. So I started this body awareness, which again is another type of mindfulness practice before we knew mindfulness practices. And then I began layering on noticing the sensation of my breath because I'm a yogi and we, we, you know, we breathe, right? And so 
I started noticing the sensation of my breath and how I could move it around my body and expand it and contract it. And then I, I, I started to layer on a portion of Vipassana meditation, which now starts to come into Buddhist practices. Um, and there's a portion of the Vipassana meditation called Anapana, which is when you, you rest your awareness right at the base of your nostrils, because the sensation of breath there is so sensitive and subtle that you really have to focus. And this is what we want to do. We want to give our mind an anchor to focus on, but without gripping, without pushing something else away. It's just this displacement of awareness over and over and over again. So this all happened very organically. It was not a conscious system that I was putting into place. It's not like one day I woke up and was like, I'm going to devise my own system of meditation. It just, it organically happened. I love that you just mentioned that. And I just want to pause there for a second because a lot of people, like even myself, right? I started out and I'm still in the fitness industry, but I've taken what I've learned and it's kind of like melding all of these different methods, modalities, tools, and you're developing your own sense of what you believe, number one, and what you notice is helping people mm-hmm. and what you love to do too. So it's like all of these, and, and I speak to a lot of different health and wellness coaches or fitness coaches, and I'm like, you know, it doesn't happen overnight. Like there's so many years of learning. I, I remember I was at, um, I was at a networking event and I was doing, you know, vendor. And I had one, one woman come up to me and she was like, where are you certified through like all of this stuff that you're doing? And I'm like, it's not one certification. It is like so many different things plus life experience. So you're taking like, and I really, I just had to pause there because I really love how you mentioned that. And I want others who are listening to understand that it doesn't happen overnight. Like this is years of building, of learning, and not only just educating yourself, it's like integration. Like what are you able to integrate into your own life? And what are you able to integrate into your practice to help other people? Yeah, there's there's so much that you just said there. I know, that, there's so much unpacking, I know. <laughs> it's, but it's so true, you know, because look, it's experiential and life isn't lateral. It's not vertical. It's not horizontal. It's all of them and a winding road and then add a roller coaster and then, <laughs> you know, add some waves crashing around you and then, right? Add some highs, add some lows, add all of the stuff. And then I believe that we are here for the purpose of being in service to one another. And I believe I live very strongly by the philosophy that our life journey and specifically the challenges that we face are for the purpose of being able to have greater empathy and compassion. Yeah. For example, earlier I mentioned my broken heart. Yes. Just prior to that, when, when I moved to LA the first time I had a girlfriend who was, she was the, she was so sweet. I loved this girl so much. And she was going through a broken heart. I mean, like couldn't get out of bed, broken heart. And I had no basis of understanding because I had never had that experience. So here I was like, 
yo girl, I just picked up the New Zealand soccer team at Stanford University because that happened. I was there teaching <laughs> yoga. My little brother was going to soccer camp and they were amazing. I and I was it. like, I brought them back to LA with me. So you need to be done with this like crying broken heart thing because we're going to go play. <laughs> and I didn't know, you know, because I really, I was like, come on girl, snap out of it. Let's go. Because I didn't know. And it, and it actually like, she couldn't, she couldn't stay friends with me at that time. And not because she was angry or anything. She just, her heart couldn't handle my joy and happiness at meeting a new boyfriend. And she couldn't join me in that process because she was suffering and I didn't understand. Yeah. It was kind of like you unknowingly not being able to hold space for her in this way that she wanted, I guess you could say, um, which I mean, it happens, right? Like you want to be her friend and support her. And that was the way you knew how. Yeah. You know, and it wasn't even that I couldn't hold space. I, I didn't have any understanding to for, for compassion, for empathy of this situation. And so it took for me to go through a devastating broken heart to be able to say, oh girl, you just take as much time as you need. And I'm just right here for you. Mm -hmm. And it does not matter how long, mm -hmm. you know, because there's no, you know, all of these shoulds, well, you should this and you should that. And by this time you should have stop shooting all over me. I'm done with that, please. <laughs> yeah. So, so from, from all of this experience and then layering on all of these practices with aligning with my intention of wanting to take my life experiences, take my education, take what I learned and what I developed, all I wanted to do was help people not suffer so badly from what had happened to our city and to them and, and to everybody. And so from this process that, that was just layering on, layering on, layering on, one day I was on the subway and I was doing it and I realized that everything around me had become like a drone. It was like an, it was like an infinite ohm, like a, from this system that I had unwilling, unwittingly created. And so there you have it. I had this meditation system and I started teaching it. And, and so to come out of it, so you finally, so it begins in open awareness, inviting in all of the sounds and the movements around you, and then bringing an awareness to yourself. And, and, you know, about that sense of proprioception, I can't tell you how many times in my life I was told that the world doesn't revolve around me, except for mine does. And so does yours. And I can't tell you how many times in my life I've been called a selfish bitch for recognizing that my world revolves around me, that I am indeed the center of my universe and that I need to self-prioritize. And people would, 
I, you know, like those who I felt should be supporting me in that space were like, you're such a selfish bitch. You're such a selfish bitch. It's all about you. You think the world revolves around you. And here I thought there was really something wrong with me. This is the reason that I, that I ran away the first time and moved to California because Mm -hmm. I was like, why I I don't understand why I have this incredible draw to take care of myself to focus on me and I'm being told that it's wrong and I was so confused and I just felt wrong and so I needed to break away from all of the noise so I'm here to tell you and everybody in the whole entire world that your world absolutely revolves around you you are indeed the center of your universe And self-centering, this language that being self-centered is selfish. No, selfish is, I don't give a shit about you. Self, you know, I'll do whatever I want at your expense. I don't care if it hurts you. Not right. We're not doing this. But self-centered, being centered in yourself is not at my expense, fundamentally. Because then here we wind up at a certain age in life saying, what about me? I have been everything that everybody has ever wanted me to be. And now I'm miserable. I don't know myself. I'm unhappy. Like, what is this life? Whose life is this? I don't even know what would make me happy. And this happens usually around 40 years old. I mean, you could almost put a clock to it for most. I can't even tell you you're absolutely correct. I can't even tell you from like doing one-on-one coaching and just, you know, being in this environment of holding space for others. I hear like to a T exactly what you just said. And actually I'm finding that it's even starting younger now. Um, and it's interesting that you mentioned the whole selfish thing, because I've also been like that where I'm like, no, like, for me, right. I'm a two-time cancer survivor. I have to live a certain lifestyle. Like there's no if, ands, or buts about it. And some people in my life just didn't understand. And I'm sorry, but that's not my problem. Like I have to take care of myself and self is legitimately in the word selfish. And if you cannot fill up your cup, how you're just giving, 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 and you're not receiving. You're not able to even fill up your own cup. And then what happens? You literally drain your life force energy and you can't even show up anymore. And you get to a point, who am I? I don't even know who I am. No. And, you know, in this, this, you know, it's like, this wrapped up in a package of virtuousness that being self-centered is wrong and self-sacrificing is right. And I'm here to say, (laughs) no, I'm not here for that. We are all here to be in the purpose. We are all here for the purpose of to be in service of each other. And I back this up scientifically, physiologically, when you look at the physiology of stress, Mm -hmm. It's for the purpose of connection. It's for the purpose of reaching out and saying, hey, I need support. I want to connect with you, right? Not, I'm, not, I'm not talking about baseline levels of stress. I'm talking about you're going into a job interview and you're really stressed out about it. You're freaking out about it. Well, what will relieve that stress is feeling connection with that person, 
right? So physiologically, we're here for the purpose of connection. We're here for the purpose as humanity to be in service of each other. It's just the way we're hardwired. Mm-hmm. And when we start to self-sacrifice, give up little pieces of what is fundamentally important to us, I'm not talking about compromise. I'm not talking about in my relationship, my partner needing me to do something, at which point I stop and I ask myself, well, how important is it to me really? Am I going to hold on to something that really is important to me because of fear? Or is it really not that important? But it is to him because somehow it's something that he needs. And can I do that for him? Sure. And then there's things that I'm like, darling, I am willing to lose this relationship because I cannot do that for you. I cannot give that to you because it will be giving of myself to the extent we're down the road, probably tomorrow, maybe a year from now, maybe 10 years from now, I'm going to be filled with resentment, wondering what about me? Because I've done this. And I'm so happy that people are coming to this plateau in their lives at a younger age, because what happens when you hit that plateau? I can't tell you how many of my students and clients are like, I came to this work, to studying and practicing this stuff to make my life better. And now my life fell apart and I need to understand why. Mm. Well, when you construct a house of cards on quicksand, determined by all of the shoulds, how you should live your life and in what order you should do things and in what timeline you should do things, it's it's inevitably going to fall down. The good news is that it's something that works for you. It's something, it's an invitation to say, now dig deep, go inside, follow carefully what feels right. You're going to make mistakes. No problem. We're human. It's a journey. We're doing this scrambling, winding up and down in and out and all around thing. And that's sometimes you're going to make mistakes and sometimes you're going to power forward. Either way, you wind up with information and in that information are choices. And then in those choices are results. And in those results or information and more choices. But so when you're self-centered and you're deeply connected with yourself, then you're able to create some space between your past experiences, your future expectations, and reality of what actually exists in the moment. You're able to take pause. You're able to feel yourself. You're able to consider. You're able to say, I need a moment because I'm, I'm having an emotional reaction to this. And, you know, when you start to journey into this self-centering work this way, you're able to communicate with greater honesty, your relationships. I can't tell you how much your relationships improve with others because you improve your relationship that you have with yourself. You get grounded, you know yourself, you get centered in yourself. You have a confidence instead of an arrogance. And arrogance usually comes from fear, comes from insecurity, right? Mm -hmm. So you have the confidence to be able to say, look, I'm going to be able to tell this person, I can do this. I cannot do this. And then they have choices just because I'm clear does it mean that they are? I don't know. Maybe they are. 
maybe they're not, but now they have choices and those choices may include me and they may not. But when you're really self-centered, you know that should a relationship, should somebody choose to no longer be in relationship with you, you're not going to die. Yeah. And listen, when you, and I've noticed this also, like as I evolve, you know, in these different developmental stages, where I'm at, where I started, where I continue to go, friends have fallen off. And, you know, there was no fight. It wasn't anything, you know, it wasn't anything terrible or toxic. It was just like, people just fell off because they couldn't vibe with me. You know, like, let's be real. They couldn't vibe with me. And I'm all about being the best version of myself every single day because I choose to be, and it makes me feel damn good. And you will have people in your life. And I know you speak heavy on relationships that, will fall off. What maybe you're married, maybe you, you know, and that relationship fails. Maybe you had a best friend, maybe that best friend falls off. And, you know, again, it doesn't have to be this big blowout. It's like, maybe you guys just stop talking. And that's what happened to me. As soon as I started doing more and more, getting like deeper in, in my, like to myself, my, my soul, yeah. that connection, that's when the fringe started to drop. And I felt a lot better. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it's, it's just, it's lighter. It, you know, listen, I mean, we accumulate as if having more means something when really what we seek is lightness. So it's so interesting that we weigh ourselves down with so much, including, you know, whether it's material things or relationship things, we, we are constantly weighing ourselves down with what we, what we actually need is lightness. And you touched on something that Jenna, I can't even tell you how important this is. And for anybody who's listening to or watching this, I really want them to take away the power, the most extraordinary power that we have, our superpower as human beings is the power of choice. Mm -hmm. okay. I was sitting in um, a workshop with one of my teachers, this woman, Caroline Mace, who is just, she's extraordinary. And she asked the question, what are the big choices that you make in life? What do you think are some of the big choices that you make? Um, really, it's just how you choose to live your life. I think that's a huge choice. <laughs> this is why I freaking love you. <laughs> Uh, because most people answer that question, where to live, who to marry, whether or not to have children, what school to go to, but you just nailed it. How you choose to show up every day, every moment of every day. Now, in order to be able to make those choices, we have to have a degree of self-knowing. Mm -hmm. Now, in order to have self-knowing, we have to take what other teachers of mine, I, I, I'm involved um, with this school, Nalanda Institute of Contemplative Sciences. It's a Buddhist um, school and just really brilliant teachers. And they teach, so one of their competencies is this competency of heart, their mind, heart, and body. And the one of the philosophies that they teach is this philosophy called empowered responsibility. And I just want to precursor this by saying, I mentioned these teachers 
yoga works, all my past teachers, Caroline Mace and Alanda and my teachers there, because I don't, I, it is my mission to give credit to those who I learned from. I bow to them really, truly. So, okay. Empowered responsibility. When we are willing to look at ourselves, really look at ourselves Forget about all of this toxic positivity. I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful. You're grateful for what exactly? And I don't say that in a bitchy way. It sounds bitchy. Half of what I say does sometimes, but because I'm just so straightforward. Because no, you're just very direct. And I vibe with that because I'm also very direct and people can take it one way or the other. <laughs> you know, because I have faith. I have faith. I don't want to baby anybody. I have faith in people. I believe I believe in everybody I believe I know that they have this ability to get past all of the the our brains are like are like a puppy what are you gonna do are you gonna let a puppy jump on everything chew on everything shit on everything or are you gonna train it sit over and over and over again sit sit heal, sit. We will put so much effort into training a dog, but we won't train up here. We will train our freaking asses to have a booty pop every day, day after day after day, but we won't train our mind. And people will say to me, I can't sit in meditation. Bullshit. Everyone can. I'm so sorry. You will sit for 45 minutes and not move a freaking muscle while you get eyelashes threaded onto your face, but you can't sit in meditation. <laughs> Thank uh, you. <laughs> no. I buy it. I don't buy it. No. And so if you want to have your power of choice, you're going to need to take responsibility for what's rattling around up there. Because listen, up until a certain point of life, What's going on up here is programmed what's from our family, our socioeconomical status, our culture, our religion, our education. And then there gets to be the age of adulting. Mm-hmm. And now we get to make, we now we have the freedom of choices. We have the freedom to say, that feels good. That doesn't feel good. That belief works out. That belief doesn't work out. That process works that right. Now we can make choices, but we can't make choices if we're not willing to own what's up here. Even if, look, just because we make choices doesn't even mean we don't know if we are choosing right until we get the results anyway. So just at least instead of operating in this like mindless process of shoulds, we have, and those shoulds are, you should, you should do this for others. You should do this for everyone. You shouldn't want that. You shouldn't go there. You shouldn't believe this, please. Which by the way, creates guilt with inside of you and that guilt. And you know what I talk about, heal your body, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you have guilt just wedged inside of you, the organs weep what the eyes don't. So if you are just harboring all of this guilt and people pleasing and like, you should do this and you should do that. And like, yes, yeah, there are things you should do to enhance your health and well-being, like no doubt. But, you know, if you're feeling guilt about it, then you need to dive deeper into, into that and like why you're feeling that way. What's that root? What's that, what's that anchor that's holding you? 
Yeah, you know, because what happens when we, when we, you know, guilt and resentment, when we self-sacrifice and it's not, you know, let me first clarify self-sacrifice as whether or not it's virtuous or not. You know, people will use examples of those who we think of in that context. The Dalai Lama, Nelson Mandela, Reverend Desmond Tutu, Gandhi, Mother Teresa, even Jesus Christ, right? But the truth of the matter is that they weren't self-sacrificing. They were so passionately, so thoroughly living in their dharma that living otherwise would have been a sacrifice to them. So let's just clarify this, this self-sacrifice is virtuous and, and giving of yourself over and over and over again is virtuous because those people were not, they were, they were giving of themselves because they were so centered within themselves. And what happens when you're centered within yourself is that you then have energy and you have so much energy that you're looking for ways to give, because it's like, it's like, it's like you're busting at the seams with energy and it's it's not a burden to give. Now, what happens when you are not centered in yourself because you're constantly living the life of what others say, of how others dictate you should live your life, is then you become empty and needy. And then you start to require everybody else to change their lives in exaggerated ways to serve you when it's it's nobody's job to make us happy. It is only our individual job to make us happy. And sure, there are, you know, many shades of, of life. And there are times that we're going to be happy. And there's times that we're going to be sad and suffering and try not to run away from that suffering because there's information there. And furthermore, we suffer because we care and because we love. And the, the other option is to be sociopath and, you know, <laughs> it's a choice. <laughs> I actually have a really good example just based off what you're saying. So I don't really suffer from anxiety or anything. I really never did. Overwhelm. Yes. Um, but over the weekend, I went skiing and I haven't been in 12 years. Innately, I know how to ski. I was an athlete my whole life, blah, blah, blah. But it had been 12 years. So I needed to like warm up. And the group that I was with, they were like pretty advanced. They're snowboarders. They go back trails. Um, we were in Vermont. So it's like a legit mountain. And I'm here thinking like, okay, cool. Like I'm going to like go, go warm up on the bunny hill and then I'll go on the chairlift. No. They were like, oh, no, 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 we're going right on the chairlift. So I started getting this crazy energy ping ponging in my body. My nervous system was tweaking out. I had fear, but like, it wasn't the fear of actually skiing. It was bringing up something else. I didn't know it at the time. So then after I get home and like, it kind of stayed with me too, until I saw one of my um, really amazing friends who is an acupuncturist and um, she does like body work and energetic healing and a healer needs a healer, right? So yeah. I went to go see her. Um, she did acupuncture cupping to really like release the tension out of my muscles. Again, body keeps the score. So then she's like, I want to try something with you. So, and, and prior to seeing her, I had crazy anxiety the day before, like up, up, 
like on top of my head, right? Like I couldn't even, it wasn't even bearable. So like to a point where I was like laying in bed and my, my head was just spinning. So I saw her the next day and she's like, okay, let's try something. So she starts doing like her body work on me. And all of a sudden, and by the way, with body work, like your body naturally does these movements to like unwind your myofascial and, you know, whatever's trauma is stuck in the body. So at one point my head goes back into a position and all of a sudden memory comes up to me. And for those listeners who, you know, have never heard of my story, I'm a two-time cancer survivor. I had thyroid cancer 10 years ago and I got surgery on my neck. They removed half of the thyroid. That memory came up. Yes. During this session where I'm like, okay. And I saw myself on the table with my head cocked back in this position. Cause it, I mean, you know what they do in surgery, it's like very abrasive and you're not technically awake, but you know, your subconscious is still aware. And so that memory was stuck and lodged in my nervous system and in my body. And as soon as like, I saw that memory, it dissipated and all of my symptoms went away. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So things like that, it's so important for us to be aware of, well, why is this anxiety coming up? And sometimes you don't know the why, right? Sometimes it may come up later and that's okay. But the more that you can be aware of yourself, Mm -hmm. of what your boundaries are, what your limitations are, um, what your non-negotiables are, knowing your energy. Like, I know that I needed someone else to help me out with that. Like, I wasn't going to be doing that work on my own. I needed someone else and assistance to work on that energy and on my body. And that's what happened. And you'd be surprised. Like, I did not think that that was going to come up. That was a surgery 10 years ago that my body was holding on to. And the trigger was skiing. The fear, that fear level that came up was connected to that point 10 years ago. So it's so fascinating. It's so fascinating, you know, in this, and this, the process of allowing, you know, allowing ourselves to be human. And, and I, I also would like for people to understand that those of us who have been doing this work and are now teachers and guides in this work, whether we are, whether we're not, it does not mean we have it figured out. It means that we've accepted our humanity. It means that, you know, I can empathize with you because I'm human too. I don't hold myself above anybody else because, you know, I'm all, I'm so wise and so knowing and da, 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 da. like that is not a freaking thing. You know, it's that we are these extraordinary beings that what we know is so small and so, so, so tiny. And isn't that exciting? You know, isn't that wonderful to know that there is so much room for us to expand and to grow and that we don't need to hold ourselves in these limitations that we've imposed within our own minds. Look, programming has been put there for sure. And now we have the opportunity as we evolve as adults to be able to choose those programs, to be able to rewrite those programs, to be able to free them, whatever it is, again, coming back 
to this power of choice. And it's so essential, and this is the point of this, to understand that through this work, we are not trying to transcend our human experience. We're trying to really be so fully present in every tiny little morsel and nuance of our human experience. What we're trying to transcend are these very limiting programs and beliefs that are in our minds because they're antiquated. They're as antiquated as, you know, patriarchy. They're as antiquated as racism. They're as antiquated as all of these ways of being that were ever thought to be right. Can you imagine that racism used to be considered right mind, right thinking? So that in and of itself for me is enough information to know what we as humans think we know as right. It's a choice. Here we are back at choice. So we're not doing this work to be human, like perfect human beings and transcend and walk through life. Like I'm just grateful all the time and I feel nothing and everything is perfect. But to be able to really, really engage with life with greater presence, go a day without looking at your phone while you're having a conversation with another person, without texting while you're talking to somebody else, without looking at your computer screen, looking at your email while you're on a phone conversation with somebody. Think about how it feels when people are disengaged when you're trying to speak to them. When, when somebody, when you're trying to share a perspective and you can see in their mind, you can see in their face that they're not hearing what you're saying. They're already formulating their rebuttal. That's not presence. Right. So when we sit in these meditative practices, these are the whys. So we can really be present in our lives. So we can be centered within ourselves. So we can engage with each other in greater connection so that we can actually appreciate things like the sorrow and the suffering that come into our life and and see everything is happening for us as opposed to happening to us. It's a big shift. Yes, that is exactly right. And you know, that's part of the victim mindset. Maybe you unconsciously don't, you're not even aware of it, but that is victim mentality. And if you're not aware of it, you're not paying attention to yourself. Exactly. No problem. Look, meditation should be taught as of like, I don't know, we teach, like we would go out, we are taught, The second we get those perfect little pearly white teeth to take care of our teeth, brush our teeth, brush our teeth, we would never leave our house with bad breath. It's disgusting. But we are not taught, okay, you need to sit down and you need to connect with and clear your mind and get present with yourself. So we won't do this self-centering meditation practices before we leave our house and leave our home with a shit attitude and then walk around and blame everybody else for how all of our exchanges and communications and frustrations are going because it's everybody and everybody else's fault. Instead of having an awareness and saying, oh man, I just woke up in not a good mood today. And so I need to say to somebody, look, I'm a little extra sensitive today. 
I woke up not in a good mood. So maybe this isn't the best time to have this conversation because I don't have the ability to receive it well. Or the ability to be able to say, you know, oh, you don't want to have that conversation. I don't need to push you today because I'm strong in my mind. And I understand that you're maybe having a challenging day and maybe can't say that. So let me step back and have some patience and take a breath, you know? So this is how doing these practices improve our relationships, improve our life. Like really, please start teaching your kids to meditate. Do not leave your house without sitting for two minutes in the morning, closing your eyes, taking some breaths, inviting the world in around you, which incidentally, I just want to circle back around to where we started as we're closing up and say, you know, when you invite in the world around you without shutting it out, without needing it to stop, without needing it to be different, you're also cultivating tolerance. And again, it is nobody's job to start living their life because, eh, you're ruining my perfect meditation space. Like what? You really stop blowing your lawn and like, you know, stop your landscapers from working because they're disturbing my meditation. Like what? You think everybody's going to stop living their lives for our individual comfort? Like this isn't how it goes, you know? So we start to cultivate, we start to cultivate tolerance. So the end of the practice, you back out after you sit and you focus on your breath for a while, you've been connected, you're observing, you let your thoughts, you observe a thought, you observe a sensation, you observe a sound, you come back to the anchor of your breath. To back out of it, you notice the sensations in your body, you notice the sensation of your breath, you notice the environment around you. And I always like to end my practices with a personal prayer, an affirmation, a dedication, some metta, sending out energy to the world. May you be safe and protected. May you feel happy and at ease. And then carry on with your day with just a, with some with a with a with greater connectivity with respect and honoring of yourself. And when you can do that, then you can truly respect and honor others and even know what that means. And you can respect your humanity and that some days you got it. And some days you just want to curl up in a ball and eat a bag of chips and take a nap. And that's okay too. And we start to live this human experience with a little bit more of authenticity. And I try not to use words like that because they're just so overused and they get exhausted, but take a moment to really consider like, you know, and I like to ask people the question, if you could be anything that you wanted when you grow up, if you could make your life look any way that you wanted when you grow up, what would that look like? And just because we're adults doesn't mean that we can't move in that direction. If you feel like wearing, you know, purple head to toe every day and that's what makes your heart feel happy then my friend you just go right ahead and do that and don't worry about anybody else because you are the center of your universe and as long as you feel happy and at ease with yourself then you can be of service to others but as long as you're trying you're constantly trying to cut away and chip away at yourself to make everybody else feel comfortable then you're just going to constantly be needy and feel empty and like something is lacking and want to replace it with things and with food and with people instead of really being firmly centered in yourself get self-centered so 
Beautiful. Such words of wisdom. <laughs> I mean, girl, I have fallen on my face so many times and I can share really, really clearly that those times happened when I was not trusting myself. Mm-hmm. And not showing up as your like, again, authentic self. If you, if you're not able to do that, you're going to feel restricted. You're going to feel restrained. You're going to feel rigid. You're going to have body pains. And, you know, it's okay to like have a bad day. <laughs> it's okay to have a day. I had a day a couple of days ago, you know, and you know, I, I had to work it out. I had to figure it out. It was just, and it, it brought me back to, okay, well, we got to work on some stuff and your body was holding on to it and that's okay. Yeah. Thank you so much. And for everyone who I'll have you, um, you know, talk about where people can find you, but we did an IG live on my business profile, holistic HP. So if you want to, you know, try out shares methodology, her meditation, it was phenomenal. So you can kind of go to it's towards the ends of end of the IG live. So you can check that out. Um, but share, where can people find you? Yeah. So go to my website. It's my name, sharemelly.com, C-H-E-R-M-E-L-I. And actually, if you wait for the little subscription pop-up pop box, if you subscribe to receive updates from me, which don't worry, I will not blow up your email. As a matter of fact, I need to get better about sending out more regular communication. But so when you subscribe to that, you can, you will receive a downloadable course for this meditation practice that I just shared with you, as well as a downloadable experience that you can do whenever you want. You can also find me on Insight Timer. I have a couple of meditations there. I'm about to upload a bunch more. I have a body scan meditation and this, I call it my practice, meditation yoga practice. Um, you can find me on YouTube. I have a YouTube channel with some workshops and guided meditations, all different types of meditations there. So, and of course on Instagram. So I'm not so active on Facebook, this social media stuff, man. <laughs> a lot. It's a lot, it's but a lot. you're, you're doing amazing. And I'm so glad that you came on and shared all of that, those gems of information with others to inspire them. And, you know, you're just shining your light. <laughs> and then one last thing that I just want to mention quickly, Jenna, is yeah. you offer on my website some courses and stuff. One of them is a custom meditation prescription. Um, when you start looking to work with very specific challenges that you face, frustrations, limitations, programs in your mind, you really need to have a very personalized, like transcendental meditation. Right. Um, although this isn't so general, it's, it's definitely more personalized. So if, if, you know, if anybody out there has really been struggling and is looking for some like really personalized meditation coaching, that's there for you too. And, and it's, it's a really excellent program. It's something that I'm, I'm very, very grateful to share. It's in alignment with classical yoga. So yeah. Amazing. Thank you so much. So if you like this episode, share it with others, subscribe. You can check this video out on YouTube. Also, you can listen anywhere, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. And until next time, bye. Bye.